Hello, everyone, and welcome to the return of the Avatar Returns. It's been a long month, my friends, but we're we're finally back to make your sad, hollow lives a little less sad and hollow, or knowing us, maybe a, a little more so. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I remain your host, Paul Smith, of the Gobbledygeek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I am Eric Sibble. And I am Arlo Wiley. That was very formal and official sounding. Um, each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip into the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we are discussing tonight. And tonight, uh, book three of The Legend of Korra is titled Change, and it's exactly the change of pace that the show needed after this, the sort of meandering plot of book two. Uh, we start out the new direction with uh, the first three chapters, A Breath of Fresh Air, Rebirth, and The Earth Queen. Uh, but before we get into all of that, we, so we're back after a month. We took a freaking month away from this show. I don't even know what this show is anymore. Uh, whose fault was that? Why did we have to take so much time? It wasn't me this time. Oh, geez. Who's got two thumbs and ruined the Avatar Returns podcast? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> oh, why did you do this to us, Eric? It I, I, you know, I had, I had this thing that I had planned and it, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I guess it would have been easy to cancel, but I, I had these tickets to France that I had to fly and, uh... and then I had hotels booked there and, and wine to drink. And I just thought that, you know, since it was already planned, I should probably do it. You know, I mean, I considered canceling it just for the show, but in the end, I, I just had to go with the, the France thing. Fine. Well, how sounds was... like a real drag. Yeah, it was, it was it was terrible. A lot of really awful things happened, um, like visiting um, lots of amazing old cities and ruins. And, and um, it was I, I can't even pretend like I didn't love it. It was fantastic. <laughs> and um, I it was, was it was it, was it was, just like Epcot? It was yes. It was just like it was like one long stroll through the Epcot France Pavilion. Nice. Um, there was one point where we were in. Paris and there was like music playing and there were like these like green like art boxes where people were selling art out of it and everyone was like I feel like we're in the Epcot Pavilion but that was the only time that <laughs> happened and that's because Paris is is it's okay I don't want I'm not gonna badmouth Paris Paris was just very much like a big city you know like it was nice but it was a big city everywhere else we went was amazing the a lot of really cool stuff I saw some really old stuff I think the most amazing thing about being there was. So we went to this town called Colmar, which is in Alsace, which is right against the German border. And there are buildings there, lots of buildings. I'm not saying like one or two, like streets of buildings where the buildings are all from the 14 or 1500s. And they are totally still in use. And there's like, you know, the top of it looks like some medieval storybook village. And the bottom is a United Colors of Benetton. <laughs> it's just surreal. It's so weird. Like every single one of these old buildings is just in use as a regular building. It's not like a museum piece. It's like an old building. And we were in like cathedrals that were from the 1100s and Jeez. it was amazing. But the most amazing thing, and I'm holding the artifact of it right now was that I got to open a bottle of champagne with a sword. <laughs> what? There is a way. There's a very standard way. Like it's totally accepted. You could do it at home. Um, Kids, if you're listening, 
eh, you're, you're, you're watching Legend of Korra. You're already pretty mature. You can do this too. <laughs> um, so you, you take the bottle of champagne and there's like a seam, like where the, you know, where the glass joined when they made the bottle. Right. And you put the sword or the blade or whatever you're using. It doesn't have to be a giant sword. It can be like a, like a small, like a decently sized knife or whatever. But you put your blade flat along the bottle along the seam. And then you run the, the blade basically down that part of the bottle along the seam and then have it hit. There's like a little lip right before, um, the the like the actual bottle pouring area and when the sword hits the that lip at that seam the combination of the weak part of the glass and the pressure cracks the entire cork and a little bit of glass off that holds the cork and it fires off <laughs> so i'm i'm holding in my hand the like if you've ever seen a champagne bottle there's like the cork and the wire that holds the cork in yeah. and then it like goes into the glass i'm holding that the wire is totally intact the cork is still in that little chunk of the bottle and the chunk of the bottle is there? I'm. You just totally open with the sword. I, I'm flabbergasted. That's amazing. We should all try this on Mike. I have a sword. I, I think I think that's a really excellent idea. I, I think that the audience deserves to hear our screams. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's actually honestly it's really easy, and it's like the just imagine yourself as like French cavalry, like you're in the Napoleonic army, and you just want a giant battle, and you pull your saber out, and like let's open this fucking bottle of champagne. I I just love. The fact that the the French are perfectly okay with handing fucking American tourists uh, a sharp piece of metal and alcohol and saying, "Here, have fun." I I was at a on like a local tour. It was like a local tour guide, and he brought us these two little champagne houses. And the second one, he had this like I don't know, like machete sized blade. I would say and it wasn't super sharp. It was obviously like they've dulled it a little bit, but he had like there were like we had about four different bottles of champagne while we were there amongst the group and every time a new one came out we went outside and someone new opened the bottle with the sword that's crazy the, our um our tour guide by the way reminded me somewhat of um can't think of the guy's name brune who played zemo oh yeah so it was i was basically like daniel brune it was like getting Brule. getting brule excuse me brule yes it was like getting to be shown how to open a bottle of champagne with a sword by by Zemo, so <laughs> that's amazing. Does does or, or uh, the Nazi sniper from from Inglorious Bastards, if you prefer? Right, right. So, does wine opened with a sword taste better than wine opened with like a corkscrew? I, you know, well, I mean, it's only champagne. You can't do this with regular oh, wine. Champagne, champagne, right? It has to be champagne because the pressure needs right, to be there. Right, but right, yeah. um, it tasted like champagne. Oh, okay, uh, but but this the one that I opened definitely had the taste of 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 victory. <laughs> okay, drank. it was great. The whole thing was great. The, the other amazing site, I was at a, a Roman amphitheater, like, it awesome. was fairly intact that they still use now for, like, shows and stuff. And it was just, I mean, being around fucking Roman ruins that are, like, 2,000 years old, and the acoustics are still good, because it's so well built, mm-hmm. totally, wild. totally wild. See, if Roman ruins were in America, we would use them for gift shops or, like, flea markets or maybe food truck rallies. I don't know. I, I would eat food truck food in a Roman uh, oh well i mean fuck yeah you eat food truck food wherever food trucks are right so <laughs> so it was good i'm glad to be back um but it was really nice and i am drinking um some armagnac right now since to, instead of going from whiskey i went to a french liquor so okay i'm still i'm still maintaining the spirit so anyways well thank you for having me back and for letting the show pause while i went on the trip but i am 100 percent excited to be back so you're, you're so continental um, hey, I, I wanted to ask one thing, because I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought I saw you tweet um, 
that you had some sort of realization that you were, I guess you were like walking down a street and you were recognizing things that were used in, was it uh, Howl's Moving Castle? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, that was in Colmore. That was the area that had the like buildings from the 14 or 1500s. And there was a building that was um, like that street, that area was used as a template for one of the areas in Howl's Moving Castle. Awesome. Crazy. Totally crazy. I wish I'd known when I was there. I took a picture of it. I actually do have a picture of the building, but um, I afterwards I was like, wait, that? They like, showed a picture of it, and I was like, wait, we were we were having coffee. Like, we had a croissant and coffee at a cafe, like, two doors down from that building. Oh, man. Wild. If only you had known. That is awesome. The adventures you could have had. I know. I know. Um, well, Arlo... You had the the perfect like cheery segue for us to move from uh, Sipple's adventures in Paris into uh, book three change of the Legend of Korra. So what was that? Well, it's not a cheery segue, but it is animation related. Okay. So I wanted to bring it up. Cartoons are cheery. Sure. Uh, C. Martin Croker, who voiced uh, Zorak and Moltar on Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and he was also one of uh, the the animators on a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> I'm try- can I, I suddenly can't think of the production company's name. Uh, Wh- William Street, maybe? Um, he was an animator on a lot of their pro- uh, productions. He passed away recently. I think within the last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, only 54. Uh, they, I don't believe they released details as to, as to how he passed away. Um but it's uh, it's very sad. Uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast was a major influence on me. Um, it was one of the it was one of the first things I think that I discovered on my own and thought was like that I connected with uh, as far as my sense of humor goes. It was one of like it, it was that and uh, it was like that and Late Night with Conan O'Brien at the exact same time and both of them together sort of um, like invented my sense of humor um and yeah i i uh it's not a show that gets talked about a lot there though there was a really great piece on grantland uh last year about how space coast uh coast to coast was secretly like the most influential show of the last couple decades um i don't know if that's true but it it i feel like a lot of uh current tv and anim- uh, comedy animation uh owes a debt to space coast um but yeah, it's just I, I wanted to mention the, uh, his passing because I'm such a huge fan of that show, and uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a sad thing that happened. And uh, Adult Swim has put up on their website uh, not every episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, but a, a pretty pretty healthy selection that you can stream. I probably need to check those out because. I think I I can't remember. It probably hasn't been mentioned on this podcast. Maybe on Gobbledy Geek that um, I, I know you were a fan of Coast to Coast to Coast. I had never watched that show. I grew up watching the like actual Space Coast cartoon, and for some reason when when uh, Coast to Coast came out, I I I got all snooty about it. I was like, I don't need to see them mocking my childhood heroes or whatever my reaction was. But um, but yeah, I've heard great things about it, and and I know you were a big fan. I think. Maybe my my tastes have changed enough. I should check that out and, and see what it was all about. But. It, it was a really delightful show, although I actually – my experience with it was mostly through – was it called Cartoon Planet? Was that the afternoon one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
bag mostly because that one had Brack as the co-host. Moltar never really, um, never really a, a bonded to my psyche, but Brack was what I loved. So Zorak Brack was much Bra- funnier to me. Brack was Brack the the one with the big like sort of cat head or whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Brack Brack's brilliant. He just had a lot of really great jokes. But that was actually my entry point. Was I would watch Cartoon Planet more often, but. Zorak was on that as well, so um, and I, and Zorak was funny. His his Zorak voice was fantastic. So it's sad. It's definitely sad. It was. It's nice to see everyone still like the outpouring of affection for that show that that came out of it was was really nice to see. So I uh, I'm on Adult Swim's website right now, and I actually when I so everyone keeps saying that there are a bunch of episodes available to stream, but all I can find is like a live stream of them just playing Space Ghost. And right now, um, they're airing the episode. See, this is actually, like, in a nutshell, this is... So, Space Ghost Coast to Coast kicked off the whole Adult Swim thing. It existed years before the Adult Swim uh, branding happened. And while I love Space Ghost, I do not enjoy, I would say, probably most... Adult Swim programming, and the episode that they're streaming right now is the episode that birthed Aqua Teen Hunger Force, uh. <laughs> which is a show I do not like at all, and that's that's sort of the uh, the Adult Swim standard bearer. Um, there's what's that? I like that show. I mm, it it never connected with me even when I was younger, um, but Space Ghost is. Space Ghost just bitch slapped a a like prototype of Shake uh, on the Adult Swim website just now. So yeah, I don't know. I really love that show. You, can, you now's a good time to watch it. So I just I just Googled uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and uh, the first link was uh, was something about watch episodes of Space Ghost, and I clicked on the link, and it took me to uh, AdultSwim.com. Space Ghost Coast to Coast season one. I see ten episodes listed. You can click on them and watch them. Or okay. At least... Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, yeah, I, I did the same thing, and it comes up with uh, episodes from like, like the. Fir- I don't. I think I don't know how many seasons of the show there were, but there are like nine seasons on here. Yeah. And I guess it's not every episode because some of them have rights issues, which is why I, I think they they stopped the DVD releases at a certain point. Yeah, but, season nine, they only have two episodes listed for that one. But. And there might only have been two episodes. Oh, okay. Wow. Really? Yeah, it, it, it had such a, especially later on, it had such a bizarre broadcast history. Hmm. I don't know. Now that we're talking about this, I want to find out. Um, I think it sounds like what you really want to do is have a Space Ghost Returns podcast where you yeah, rewatch absolutely. all the episodes. That's what absolutely. I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. So yeah, there there were ten episodes, or I'm sorry, ten seasons of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, um, eight of which were on Cartoon Network, and then I forgot about this. Two of them were on Game Tap. What the hell was Game Tap? Game Tap was. Uh, an online video game service established by Turner Broadcasting System. Wow. Uh, so yeah, that didn't last. But uh, but yeah, wow, wow. weird. Um, so that was on Comedy Central, or what? What channel? Cartoon did... Network. Cartoon Network. 
Okay. So Cartoon Network did that weird thing. Um, and we'll talk about this when we get into book four of Legend of Korra. But I know that people who were watching Korra live, um, either the either all of book four or maybe the back half of book four. I don't know. They stopped actually releasing episodes. It stopped. They stopped right. airing episodes on Nickelodeon and it went to streaming online only. And I just remember, uh, we'll talk about this when we get there and do more research. But I remember people were being very upset because I don't think they like advertised it very well. Like, I think it just kind of happened and people. And it happened at the end of season three, if I remember properly. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. It was like, I'm pretty sure the end of season three suddenly went to, streaming and that's why it was so abrupt like season four was all streaming so at least everyone knew it was happening but it's somewhere in like i think the last four or five episodes of the season maybe uh went to streaming so thanks nickelodeon right 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 when i was back in it doesn't matter i I didn't watch it all after anyways but (laughs) i'd have been i'd have been right there picked off so just one last quick space ghost thing because speaking of networks doing weird shit apparently and i don't think i knew this the final episode of space ghost coast to coast on cartoon network before the weird game tap revival um they they literally ran out of money to make it and it was aired unfinished <laughs> like it, it was just half an episode or it was just half it was it was a it was a full episode but apparently it was it was not it was not polished it was not finished um, in fact, the, the description of the episode is the show's budget is used to bail space ghost out of jail. <laughs> wow. So see, here, here's the thing I'm, I'm reading and loving the new, um, future quest series that's coming out from, uh, shit. Is it, who's putting that out? Is it DC? Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, okay. Anyways. So that's uh yeah i guess it is dc it's kind of it's part of that whole that that weird like hanna barbera revival thing yeah that dc's doing but has any of that taken off i don't think so like i i haven't heard i mean i know the scooby-doo apocalypse thing is going now i think the flintstones maybe just started I, i don't know but none of the rest of it looks any good to me um but uh, the the future quest, which combines among many many other characters, it combines the Johnny Quest characters with with the Space Ghost characters and the Herculoids and Birdman uh, and all that. It, it's uh, it's a very I was I almost said realistic. It's a very straight, very it's played seriously uh, uh, a series that combines all those characters, brings all those characters together, and and tells new stories with them. And I. I started reading it because I thought it was just going to be nostalgia porn, but it's actually really good. It's very, very good. So it would be interesting to, uh, you know, be kind of back into the character of Space Ghost now the way I remember him. I'm sure the original series was just as terrible and cheesy. <laughs> and I, I don't think Coast to Coast, like, ruined the 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 good name of that character. But um, in the comic, he's played very serious and very straight. And, See, the thing it would is, be interesting to have that character back in my life and then go back and watch Coast to Coast where he's just a goofy talk show host. The thing is, Coast to Coast wasn't meant to like take the piss out of the old cartoons. It was, I think it was literally just, I'd, I, I would love to know, I, I think at one point I had read like how Space Coast, Coast to Coast started, but I'm pretty sure it was just, they decided to like let some of their animators do this really weird thing with thing with like obscure quote unquote obscure, like lesser known things that they already owned. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was meant to mock the old show. It was just, 
they had access to these characters and for whatever weird reason were given free reign to do bizarre shit with them. So, yeah. I would love for you to watch Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Let's do it. Forget the Avatar. Let's talk about Space Ghost. (laughs) It might happen. Um, Oh, go ahead. Screw you, Arlo. I'm ready to talk about... I'm ready to talk about Korra. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into Korra then. So we have, um, like I said, first three chapters of a brand new season. Uh, a breath of fresh air was the first one. You want to take us into uh, Arlo? You're the newbie. I'm going to let you set the stage. You can either we we can either talk about these one episode at a time, or we can try to just discuss the whole thing. How do you want to do this? I mean, I feel like except for. Like two-parters and things, we usually talk about them one at a time. I don't want to deviate from the format just because we've been gone for a month. Okay, all right. Well, we're we we can create ourselves anew, man. But what I, we, I we can have a rebirth. Yes. I know the season is called Change, but let's not overdo it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Um, so Arlo, uh, breath of fresh air. Uh, how do you think this kicks off a brand new season? Wait, was I supposed to watch these? No, you never do. I'm just, you make shit up, you know? Okay. It's, it's been a long time since we've done this podcast. I didn't know uh, watching things was uh, was part of it. Uh, but no, uh, Breath of Fresh Air. So after, so I think we were all, I feel like we were all pretty much on the same page about uh, season two. There was a lot of, there, there were some really great things in season two, but a lot of it also felt very uneven uh, or even in, the, in the, with the case of uh, like Lynn Beifong, poorly done. Uh, so I think we were all a little conflicted about season two. And I'm very pleased to report that, uh, so far at least, these first three episodes of book three, um, I have no problems with. Um, I think it's a really strong start to the season. And I really like the fact that we, after harmo- after the harmonic convergence, now all of these dormant airbenders are being activated. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting spin on things because we're going from a world with, you know, five airbenders to now a potentially like limitless supply of them. It, I'm, I'm really, I love this too. I, I will say I don't, I, I quibble with the, um, the activation of dormant airbenders take on it. I, I don't think anything's being activated. I think this is the the spirit world is now connected to the 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 physical realm, and some people are being granted airbending in the way that that um, in the old days the spirits the dragon the dragon turtle the lion turtles granted powers to humans before. So I actually, think it's just new powers. Yeah, I think that actually makes a lot of sense because as I was saying that, I was thinking, you know, if these are dormant airbenders. Does that say that everyone like is born with bending capabilities that are at some point activated? So yeah, I think I think that take makes more sense. I, okay, does it? <laughs> so let's. Uh, I mean, let's not get derailed well, take, from. Take take Boomy out of the equation. Let's take Boomy. I was going to say yeah, because Boomy's he's the, the only one. one that fits that template. I think. Well, everyone else is from different nations. We. Yeah, I guess, but. <laughs> Paul is very. We just started talking, and Paul is already very displeased. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not displeased. I'm just. I. So I took it for granted that. Uh, the, okay, Arlo, you've always been the one to bring up Buffy. I'm, I'm going to beat you to the punch. Um, I, I will mention Buffy here. I had just 
taken it as a given that this was uh, the Avatar world's version of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's potentials. Um, that because uh, I feel like we've had a discussion before about how people and the, uh, the, leaving out the whole lion turtle thing where they are granted powers um, like how an airbender is born or how a waterbender is born and that it, it is some sort of kind of genetic thing that's passed through families. Um, I feel like we've had that conversation before. And so to me, it just seemed like what's happening here is there, even though airbenders were practically wiped out almost 200 years ago, there's still recessive genes in kind of the gene pool and that there are certain people who ha still have the potential. Um, I, so, okay. I hear, here is my, in my role of head cannoner, I'm going to lay out my feelings on this and we'll see if my head cannon makes sense of this. Okay. So, the bending came about because the people were granted powers. Right. And then at some point, the first avatar closed off the spirit realm from the mortal realm. Right. At that point, no one could be granted powers anymore. Or no one was being granted powers anymore. From that point forward, the only benders we got were the descendants of those benders. No new bending was being given out. And it was the descendants of those benders. Now the spirit portals have been reopened, and now there's a the spirits are have uh, probably the release of spiritual energy more than anything harmonic convergence, granted bending powers as bending powers were granted in the old days. But why only air bending then? Uh, probably things balancing out. There's a lot of other benders. There's a lot of air bending power out there not being used by anyone. Okay, see, but I, I don't necessarily feel like we're being like our two ideas here are mutually exclusive. I, I guess I get it's not, I don't think it's think important it's to the plot. <laughs> like I, I, I think it's random is my, is my point. Okay. I don't think it, I don't think it's anyone. I don't think it is anyone who is genetically tied. I think it is a random distribution of airbending. Powers. To be fair. Uh, and this shouldn't count as a spoiler because what I'm saying is I don't remember to be fair. I don't, I don't believe this becomes a significant plot point in the future. The discussion of, well, why are these people of everybody in the it, world? Why are they being granted airbending? Um, it, it is not, it's not brought up. You're correct. This is, that's one of the reasons I subscribe to the granted via randomness theory uh, or, or whatever, or through the mysteries of, of spiritual workings, because it's never an issue. It's not a plot issue, which tells me that, and honestly, the characters don't seem to be, thinking of it so i think it is it is it is either random or the kind of ra things that look random when the spirit world does whatever it wants to do okay so <laughs> this all right well here's the here's the progression that listeners you can track with us as we as we move through the season since there's there's always something there was there was midichlorian bending that you dropped at the beginning of maybe season one i don't uh w there's always something that we track we mentioned at the beginning of a season and by the end of the season we're like so where do we stand on that now um, I guess by the end of book three, let's sort of revisit this and see if you and I have changed positions. Like we, you, like you just said, neither one of us, I don't think this is an important detail. I don't think it really makes a damn bit of difference, but Eric is in the, the it's completely random camp. And I'm in the camp that says these are kind of like Buffy's potentials. These are people who, if airbenders had never been wiped out in the first place, these people would have been potential airbenders, but. Anyways, 
And I'm in the camp of I hope you both fight to the death trying to decide who's right. Okay. Avatar, Avatar Returns Civil War. Here we go. <laughs> I challenge you to an Agni Kai, Sipple. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, well, well, damn, I feel like that, that uh, I expected Arlo to jump at the whole Buffy's potentials topic. Look, there. having just recently revisited season seven for the first time in years, I don't really want to go anywhere near the potentials. <laughs> So, which is funny, actually, because one of the potentials uh, is in these episodes. Uh, uh, hold on, who was it? It was uh, Christy Wu, uh, who voices uh, Pali. Is that oh. how the character's name is pronounced? Yeah, Pali. Yeah. Yeah, she by, played by a... in By in these episodes, you mean, like, the last ten seconds of the third episode. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, uh, she uh, played Chow An on Buffy, the the wow. Asian potential that couldn't speak English. Oh, I, I, I don't remember any of the potentials, really. <laughs> um, okay. It was, well. I mean, you shouldn't. They're awful. <laughs> See, and I feel like uh, both shows, Korra and Buffy, have are taking this premise uh, that has, part of the pun, has potential. I feel like there's uh, there are possibilities with this story idea that uh, that can be explored in interesting and compelling ways. I didn't personally feel like Buffy pulled that off. I do kind of feel like Cora pulls it off. So That's good to know, because no, Buffy, uh, as much as I love it, did not pull it off. No. And I, I would say Cora actually... Um, it already just in these first three chapters, it already kind of tops Buffy's uh, season seven potentials arc because they they're already addressing what my biggest problem with uh, Buffy activating the potentials was, and that's the notion that that uh, oh, we're getting. I don't want to get derailed on a discussion about Buffy, but uh, Buffy spent like the entire run of her series basically doing nothing but complaining about the fact that she was not given a choice. She was chosen. She was not given a choice. She ends her series by forcing that choice on a whole bunch of other people. Like now a whole bunch of girls wake up and they are also slayers, which yay. Awesome. That's empowering girl power. But they also like Buffy were not given the choice to have this power. So congratulations, Buffy. The cycle continues. Well, what what I would like about the way uh, well, I guess we probably will get into this more in the in the later episodes. Maybe this isn't the time to talk about it, but but Cora's way of trying to address people who were granted these powers and not having been given a choice, I find very interesting. I like those conversations. Her tough love thing, you mean? Well, just that, but just the sense that 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 well, you're right. It wasn't your choice. It's a it's a destiny and a gift, and you have to live up to it. Yeah, is basically yeah, yeah. her take. Like yeah. you know, like. You know, it's not fair. I mean, that's sort of like the underlying is like it's not fair necessarily that you got it, that you that you now have this. But you now that you do, you have a responsibility to live up to what you've been given. Yeah. And I think that is a it was what I like about it is it's very telling about Korra's own view of being the Avatar. And I think it's tempered by the trials she's already been through. That this isn't easy. You're not gonna get your. Yeah. This is like having these responsibility is not a cakewalk, but. It's here and you got to do it. Yeah, she says something that uh, is, it, does, it doesn't feel out of character, but it is, it's kind of the first time I think, uh, maybe not, but it, it felt like, um, 
for for most for the most part, Korra's been like, I'm the Avatar, you gotta deal with it. Like she's always I don't know, seemed like she loved the fact that she was the Avatar. And in one of these episodes she says, uh, when she's talking to the the reluctant like the hipster bender or whatever. Uh, she's like, well, I didn't choose, I didn't ask to be the avatar, but I am the avatar and I am doing my duty or whatever. That was, I don't know, an interesting progression from where she started the show. I don't know. Maybe we should talk about all of these episodes as one piece because I feel like we already kind of are. I, I, well, you know what? I think I, I, the thing is, these are all very discreet plot wise. So maybe it would be good to back off the meta stuff for a little bit okay. and talk about the episodes because I do think each of these episodes is fairly on its own. Mm-hmm even though it's serialized. So I think it might be good because, um, because the, each of them are, I think structured very well mm-hmm. each of the episodes. And I don't want to lose sight of that and talking about them all separately. Okay. So, uh, a breath of fresh air picks up two weeks. Um, only two weeks have passed since harmonic convergence since the end of book two. And, uh, um, the, I mean, we already talked about one of the changes that's in the title, the fact that now there's, there are airbenders popping up, but, uh, what, what Which, else is, what else well, is hold on. Before, before we talk about the other changes, how how great is the reveal of people having airbending now? I, the, I mean, it opens with it with Boomy's yeah. whole Boomju thing. That is like I thought they were going to hold this card for longer in the episode, but nope, they just dropped this right at the start. Yep, straight at the top. <laughs> and and, and I, and I like the fact I like the fact that it was Boomy first because um, the audience gets to have the same uh, you know progression of reaction that Tenzin does where it's super cool and amazing, but you're in the back of your mind, you're almost like, well, actually Milo says it, or I don't remember who says it, but maybe Boomy is just a late bloomer. You're like, you know, he is, he is Aang's son. Maybe he's always been an airbender. He just hadn't discovered it till now. And or, then we get the reveal. Is he a late boomer? Oh, oh God. God. Okay. We're back to this. <laughs> but it's, but it is, it's a great... You missed like, this! <laughs> it's its just a really well-paced reveal overall, too. Like, it's classic Boomy, Boomju nonsense. Mm-hmm. Leading up, like, him the upset because Boomju wouldn't wear the sweater <laughs> that he made him. Yes. Oh, and then God. falling. And I do like that Boomju tries to help him, but only succeeds in pulling his jacket off. Yeah, yeah. That just overall, that was a great, a really great sequence. The, the great dinner scene, scene, the dinner scene was fantastic. Um, <laughs> like Boomy, Boomy has been funny. We, we've already talked about the fact that Boomy 2.0 is, is a vast improvement over the original uh, King Boomy from Avatar The Last Airbender. But um, he, you know, even Boomy 2.0 can kind of great. Like, I think he's I think he's funny in small doses. Uh, but now that he's being like intimately woven into the the main plot, um, I don't know. I, I liked him here. His uh, his desperation to convince his family that he's not make this isn't just one of his stories. He's not making it up. You know what helps is something from season two when he has that wild flute playing right. adventure with the spirits, and then he gets to the end and he realizes no one's going to believe him. Yeah, and you start to realize that maybe some of his goofy stories aren't fake. Right. And and now we're in it again where it's like, I can airbend. And everyone's like, come on, man. Seriously, you can't airbend. And I love when he asks, Bo, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name now. Bolin. Bolin to throw a rock at his head. And he's like, a giant that's, boulder at my head. I don't that's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the, who throws the plate at Boomy's head? Milo, of course. It's Milo? Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I missed it when I like I glanced away from the screen and looked up and there was a plane flying it. Boomy's head. Um, it, it, it very, a very, very fun way of us um, easing in to um, yeah. this new, this new plot. And this season doesn't waste any time, honestly. No, no. So, uh, yeah, the next big change that we're introduced to is the fact that uh, the sort of the 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 destruction or whatever that uh, Unavatu visited upon uh, Republic City. I mean, obviously, it's only been two weeks. Not much could have been cleaned up, but it's Republic City is still covered in these spirit vines. Um, those haven't gone away magically. And uh, in fact, Korra can't get those to go away. And it's just an interesting, uh, you know, addition to this urban setting that now there are these sort of random spirit wilds that have popped up um, where you have like grouchy pineapple hedgehog spirits <laughs> Just, what did you how did this all read for you uh, did you what did, what did you think about the whole spirit vine side of the plot arlo um i i like it because it shows that there are definitely consequences to um blending the spirit and human worlds they're not just going to magically exist uh coexist peacefully there's going to be some some major spillover um and i like that uh when she when she's trying to you know clean up the vines uh, you know that are around the one building she thinks she's done it and then they come back with like a sort of Lovecraftian vengeance like these these massive tentacles uh, curl around the building and try to choke it to death um, it's it's change as I'm sure this this book will prove change is difficult change is tough. And what Korra did was pretty major. And I think, you know, at the dawn of a new age, you have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of things you got to deal with before uh, that can come to pass. Yeah, it's I love it because we immediately get into consequences, one of which is exciting and then maybe gets a little scarier at the end. And one of which is just perplexing and impossible to deal with and is such a hassle to everyone that the president kicks the avatar out of Republic city. Yeah. yeah. Be- because she can't deal with it. Yeah. President Raiko is, um, embracing the, the dickhead that we said he wasn't last season. <laughs> well, he started off the... though. He was kind of a dickhead and now he's back to that dickhead again. Yeah. At the same time, I don't know if I'm willing to just straight up call him a dickhead. Because if you look at it from his perspective, I don't know. I feel like this is pretty consistent with how he's viewed Korra in the past. Um, I don't from I don't know. Korra should get some slack for for saving the world. Like she should definitely get some slack. But at the same time, if Korra wasn't around, would you know the end of the world almost have, have happened? It's a it's a. It's an age-old question when it comes to superheroes. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, it's well, and and to be fair to to they Reiko, need the, they need the Republic City Accords. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Vera Reiko, um, the guy's probably the first president of Republic of uh, the the United Republic. It was this council before. He's in a pretty tenuous situation. You have to imagine it's a new government that's never great. He's probably watching his poll numbers tank. Right now, after his support of the Avatar, I imagine he's got a lot of advisors who are telling him, you got to cut this crazy person loose. Because 
you're not going to be president much longer otherwise. <laughs> right. And the last thing we need is another council of vendors. So <laughs> I, I think the next logical uh, step for Ryko is to compare the new airbenders to a bowl of Skittles. Oh, my God. I knew we were going to get so I knew we were going to get here somewhere. All right. <laughs> I, that's I, fast I thought it would. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, even, even even Cora is watching her poll numbers. Eight percent. I, st- I love. She talks about polls. I was like, "Wow, we're this is we're watching this at the right time, aren't we?" Yeah. I still really like the contrast here between Cora and Aang, where Aang was always on the run, always hiding, never, you know, tried to hide the fact that he was the Avatar. Whereas Cora is very much a public figure, like the Avatar always was before Aang. And so, part of the consequences she has to deal with are not just these uh, tentacle vines spreading out all over uh, Republic City but also uh, public perception and being bombarded with questions by the press. Um, And I really like uh, one of my favorite jokes in this episode was, I think it's at the beginning, one of the reporters is shouting out like a a headline. They're like, right. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, (laughs) damn it. I need to find it. Uh, It's, uh, have you seen today's headline? It says, right. Oh no. Polls pan. Prez plans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, is some, that is some new york post shit right there yep yep uh so yeah, yeah we so play clusterfuck on that side yes uh this season looks like it's gonna deal at least a little bit with the the concept of urban migration which is another interesting uh, element to throw into a a nickelodeon kids show that's right um, yes, it's all, all very, all very um, child-friendly uh, storytelling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, Cora has an Ang glider now. Yeah, I love that. I was like trying to figure out if I had missed when she got that, but I think she just picked it up in between the two weeks. I'm guessing. Yep. Yeah. It's she, cool though. She, it's a badass one. It's a little beefier than Ang's. <laughs> it's well, she's a little beefier than Ang. <laughs> she's a lot beefier than Ang. She could she could break adult Ang over her knee. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Um, all right, so one of my favorite things, absolute favorite things, like it, it feels like a breath of fresh air is is a breath of fresh air. It feels like it almost immediately addresses some of my biggest issues with book two. Um, we get back to uh, a much more uh, like personal character dynamic. Like the the focus goes back to character, I feel, more than it had been in much of season two, at least. Um, specifically, I love the fact that we get um first of all mako and bolin are back to being like you know brothers it looks like their story is going to be the two of them uh and korra and asami finally get to explore their friendship yes yeah i I really loved that in this episode that that conversation in the car about like how how they like how, who is lying to who and whatever and their like general nonchalance about it was wonderful yes it, so fantastic as, as was the payoff later when they're basically fucking with with um i am blanking on names today mako oh <laughs> my god what the hell's going on with my brain today with uh with mako like they basically have teamed up to make mako feel uncomfortable yeah which is wonderful yeah they're both amazing being amazingly mature now that i mean that conversation was sort of the anti-bechdel test but that's fine i don't care because i loved that conversation in the car 
Well, it, it's sort of like this is why, like, you know, the, the Bechdel test is a great a great way of gauging, like, does the show have any – does this show or movie have anything going on other than people dealing with guys? But the – it obviously doesn't capture everything because a conversation like that was – was very much about, which is actually something that often is missing in fiction, which is female friendship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's actually something that, that shows screw up a lot. But even when you have multiple women in a show, there's a lot of like um, backbiting and jealousy and whatever. And the show kind of flirted with that earlier. And here we have like two really, like a really like like interesting friendship developing between two women. And that's something that doesn't happen a lot. And there's no way of that friendship progressing without dealing with the fact that they had both dated the same guy before mm-hmm. yeah. and and it is a great conversation that resolves in a really funny car almost wrecking yeah <laughs> okay so. okay and i'm going to take this opportunity to call once again call out studio mirror uh it's amazing uh, the animation work is amazing uh it's exactly what we expect from studio mirror and that the car scene there's countless examples of it, but the car scene in particular, I noticed because you've got the bit where Cora is a, still a terrible driver. And so there's the guy behind her that's, that's trying to get past and he's honking at her and whatever. And Cora and Asami go on and have this conversation. They are completely ignoring this truck. And as it pulls past them in the background, the driver of that truck just looks over and fucking gives them the evil eye while he's driving past. <laughs> like if they could have gotten away with it on Nickelodeon, he would have like flipped on the bird or something. Just a little background detail that they didn't need, but I I love the fact that it was there. Hey, isn't it nice to have a season where we don't have to be waiting for the good animation company to come right. back again? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. It, what else do we have here? Oh, wait, wait. Um, so the my favorite speech, since we were talking about um, Cor- the, the concept of change and Cora's responsibility to the city and all that, my favorite... Tenzin moment, at least in this first episode, is when he's talking to when Cora's feeling really down about how she she can't figure out how to get rid of these vines and maybe she screwed up when she left the spirit portals open and everything. And that's when Tenzin, you know, gives the whole thing about, um, you know, change is just change. And some sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It depends on how you look at it. But uh, he specifically tells her, you know, you're not the president, Cora. Your job isn't to fix the daily problems of every person in Republic City. Your responsibility is to bring balance to the entire world. And that means no matter what you do, some people are going to be some people are not going to be happy about it. I don't know. I just loved the fact that he he pointed out to her and maybe to some of us in the audience that, you know, her she, she is the avatar and her job maybe isn't to go door to door and fix you know, to personally remove the vines from each person's apartment or whatever. Yeah, that was a really interesting. T- um, I like that conversation on a lot of levels. I love that that bit, which is defining the avatar as sort of she's there to fix like macro problems, meta problems. She's there to make sure the world isn't tipping out of balance, um, which doesn't mean that she's there to fix everyone's problems. And I like the other side of it, which is Tenzin's very emotional um, side of how this changes help that this culture that he thought was dead, mm-hmm. that the airbenders that, cause you know, even though you have kids that are airbenders, you know, you were talking generations before there's any chance of there being a massive airbender culture right. again. And here suddenly there are all these airbenders and it's not like an intellectual idea to Tenzin. He's so, he's so invested in this. Like he's so excited about the return of airbenders that it's, 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 it's a, it's a really revealing scene. And it's a great continued payoff to their relationship overall that they've built up in the show. It's just it's it's really wonderful 
and it actually goes back to what you were saying, Paul, that this show, this has really reverted to a focus on character again, and it really shows through. In a lot yeah, of that is a really great scene with Tenzin and his kids, especially, you know, he's talking about the future of you know, the, the air nomad culture and talking about how he wishes Aang could have been there to see it. And, uh, in the background, uh, well, well actually they're fit. He said they're sitting like by the lake and they're facing, um, the Aang statue mm-hmm. in Republic city. And there's a great shot with Milo in the foreground, who is the youngest of the airbenders and Aang, uh, all the way in the background. I just thought that was a really great, uh, great shot. Beautiful. Yeah, that was great. That was, and the, the, comp, the it's, it calls back to the um, uh, Noctuck um, Night of a Thousand Stars thing, where they were using things on multiple levels. You yeah. know, like multiple levels of the of the the depth of the the shot, and that's something you almost never see in animation, quite frankly, especially TV animation, where there is use of the various planes yeah. of view. Yeah. And Studio Mir that on a television budget is impressive it's really impressive yeah um so i think the 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 big thing that we haven't discussed in this episode is uh zahir yeah i was just about to ask what you what your thoughts so toward the end of the episode tenzin says who knows who's out there right now discovering the gift of airbending for the first time and he says it so hopefully and so optimistically that i wrote in my notes that's asking for trouble. <laughs> and sure enough, it cuts straight to uh, a, a prison where this man named Zahir is being kept. And uh, he has discovered the joys of airbending. And he knocks the fuck out of the guards and breaks out of the prison. Yeah, so, so what do you think let's, about that let's, 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 let's deal with the elephant in the room first. Who okay. voices Zahir? Henry Rollins. Yeah, boy. There we go. Let's just let's just call that out now. Henry Rollins is our bad guy. That's All so right. that's so fucking weird. This is the most most Henry Rollins possible character too. I don't know if it's quite come through yet, but the longer this character goes on, the more it's like, oh yeah, obviously they cast Henry Rollins. Yeah. Okay. So. It's interesting. I adore Henry Rollins, and I love him in this role. And you're absolutely right. It, like if if I was reading the call sheet or whatever and, and the character of Zahir was described to me and they were like, we're thinking about Henry Rollins. I'd go, fuck yeah, man, that's dead on. Um, but it is so weird to hear Henry Rollins voice because if you're not looking, if you're looking at this grizzled, badass animated character and not seeing Henry Rollins himself, his voice really sounds youthful and childlike it which does. Henry it, Rollins it absolutely right. is not. So on the on one on the one hand he is the perfect person to voice this character but on the other hand I feel like at least it takes a little while to settle into this this strangely incongruous uh, disembodied Henry Rollins voice. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was really struggling with that in these three episodes. Something there was just some like cognitive disconnect that I had that was not allowing me to accept Henry Rollins' voice coming out of Zahir's face. <laughs> it, th- there will be there will be slight changes to the character design that goes along, and by the time you get to the final character design of Zahir, I'm not talking about like some kind of Dragon Ball Z nonsense. It's just the character <laughs> design changes subtly over time. Um, end of season Zahir 
it will be a much less of a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Of yeah, yeah. Rollins' voice coming out. Just just to put that out there. But yeah, it is sort of like, oh yeah, it's coming out of Iroh's face, basically. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but as for so, Arlo, what do you think is here at this point? I, I have some comments I want to make about to here, but I want to I want to hear your your thoughts before I I say anything about him. Um, he has a lot of uh, he's spouting a lot of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you base your expectations only on what you see, you blind yourself to the possibilities of a new reality. Um, and his mission statement at the end of A Breath of Fresh Air is, it is the dawn of a new age, the end of the White Lotus, and soon the end of the Avatar. And part of me, I don't know. Do we need another villain that wants to kill the Avatar? Like, is that, can't we just have a villain that wants to do something bad and then because of that comes into conflict with the Avatar, not like starts out wanting to destroy the Avatar? Um, okay, that's an interesting point. So I, I, I am going to say we're wait for season four. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, for, but as far as this goes, I, I'm going to put a pin in this because I agree with you in theory, but I find Zaheer's goals very fascinating in this because his conflict with the avatar is almost entirely philosophical and not about i want to kill the avatar because i'm evil although i think you could not make a case that he isn't kind of evil but it's it's a it's it is i actually find his beef with the avatar to be the most interesting of the avatar beefs in a lot of ways i'm so fucking excited about this because i think i've hinted uh or maybe flat out said a couple times in previous episodes that uh, for some reason I expected coming into this, I expected Zaheer to be the villain that you, Eric had the most problems with. Oh, he is. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> so uh, uh, I maintain you really to talk about this, the, 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 di- the dichotomy that is Zaheer for me. I'll just kind of like, like talk a little bit about the, um, the basics of it. And we'll get on. We'll, we'll, we'll have this come up over a while. So Zaheer is my biggest my biggest problem villain in some ways. Okay, he's be- he is infinitely better on every level than whatever the bad guy's name was last season. Unalak. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like trying to block it from my head, but yeah, actually, I remembered it halfway through my comment, and I was like, nope, I'm not going to give him the just. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of me saying his name. <laughs> Jesus. Um, he is he is better on every way than Unalak because he's interesting. Like, yeah. so he's interesting, which immediately makes him better than Unalak. Um, Zaheer is, in some ways, one of the most fascinating characters philosophically that Avatar has. I find him and his goals very, very interesting, and I find his endgame specifically kind of um, really interesting. I really I really enjoy Zaheer's arc overall. What I don't enjoy is that Zaheer has apparently mastered airbending at about the same speed that Aang mastered firebending. That, that, so, was, that was my next question, but I, I kind of wanted to maybe get into the next couple of chapters first, since we don't... Well, we kind of saw it. Okay, so his whole prison he breakout... He a lot thing. of people in this. Yeah, so, yeah, we do see it at the end. His whole prison breakout. This is, ostensibly, this is a character who was not an airbender before, so he's only had this airbending ability for two weeks now, we know. And it's been two weeks. I mean, I suppose he's locked up in prison. All he has time to do is practice. But still, 
My question, and this is... Hey, man, you know how people in prison, all they all they do is work out. Oh, so this was the airbending <laughs> so it... equivalent of him just doing push-ups the entire two weeks? Exactly. He's going to be fucking ripped, man. Okay. Well, that's... He's I guess. Jack. I guess he's kind of bending ripped. You're right. I, I retract... So I'm going to my... give the horse, the horse shit explanation that the show gives for this. Okay, so here's... <laughs> let me let me back up. Uh, I actually... My, my goal for this season in this rewatch is to accept my problem with Zaheer as a factor of the series and to address the show beyond that. Because ultimately... That he is overpowered a little bit is is only an issue insofar as the fight scenes go. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not like Unalak where his plan is incomprehensible and it's impossible to engage with the story as a result. I think it is very possible to engage with Zaheer as a character and his overall story, provided you accept the fact that he should not be as good of an airbender as he is. Right. And and so like I just I'm I'm my goal for this is I'm I'm gonna call out the times where I don't think it makes sense, but I'm really not gonna be grouchy, I think about this over the course of the season. But the horseshit explanation for it is that he is obsessed with airbender culture and has been for his entire life. And right. he has read all this airbender stuff. So, and that, that has primed him to be able to use airbending, which is kind of horseshit, but here's Eric's headcanon. I'm going to help you out with this is the Eric's headcanon for Zaheer. I'm going to say that because he was such a stan of the air nomads, that his regular fighting style, the martial arts that he has been using is airbender martial arts he is using air nomad martial arts in the first place before he ever got airbending powers and thus had the priming of the katas that would let him use airbending with time. no i uh, no, th- this is actually amazing because eric you and i are on exactly the same page uh, okay that that is exactly how i sort of fan wank it for myself i personally i would have preferred i think it actually would have been more interesting if we had seen him uh, start out with just just the tiniest air like to see him pull off that same escape but to have to use only like the most basic and subtle of airbending abilities and over the course of the season we watch him grow into this badass but since that's not what we get i'm i'm 100 on the same page as you this is someone who has spent his entire life studying every aspect of air uh, of the air nomad culture and clearly I mean, they kind of they kind of give it to us here, anyways. He's in the, this serious, like, like supermax prison, and this was they locked him in there, and he wasn't a bender. So clearly, he is some sort of badass in the first place. Yeah. To, yeah, to, he to was require... obviously a really tough guy. Exactly. Yeah. This guy was someone who obviously could kill a lot of people. You know, th- I the hero is basically like the like he. This is like he's the Winter Soldier. Who suddenly yes. got airbending? Power, yes, yes, basically. yeah, exactly. So, so yes, he is. So, I just want to say he's overpowered. There's going to be moments through the season where he gains powers, and you're like, "What the fuck?" At least I was like, "What the fuck?" for the first time through. <laughs> but when I got to the end of this season, I discovered that I really like Zahir's character, and ultimately, you know what? That's way more important. And I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be the like Dragon Ball Z fight power person about this one. I I. If we are willing to accept that he had enough priming of training in the first place that he could pick up airbending as a result, I think that everything else will progress okay yeah. over the course of the season. Okay. And and so anyways, that's what it is. But I find him fascinating as a character. So he's my biggest problem. We're going to see how I feel at the end of the season. Right this second, I'm okay with him. Cool. So. Arlo? So we... 
I have no beef with Zaheer beyond the weird disconnect of hearing the Henry Rollins voice. <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the next uh, chapter then, 302 Rebirth. Arlo, what would you think of that? Um, I thought it con- it continued the uh, the the overall quality of the premiere. Um, so it conti- so one of the things that that episode continues it well actually hold on let's start off with the big thing so Korra has been kicked out of Republic City so now they are traveling in a brand new Future Industries airship uh, to try and find all of the airbenders yeah so two things I love that Asami gets to be the Q of the team uh, and uh, I I went to Star Trek first and I was like what the fuck are you talking about but I get it now okay well, I'm 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 amazed that you get either of those references. So so you know, golf clap for you, Arlo. No, I know things. In, in that in that respect, um, oh my God, I, see, I'm blanking on his name. The the other the other the the great the best character of the show. What's his face? Varric. Do, do the thing. Varric is that cue. Yeah. Of the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so yeah, I just I love the role that. Uh, at the, this moment, at least, Asami finally gets to play, um, and it's um, it's just great to get them all out of Republic City and back to sort of walking the Earth like Kane and Kung Fu. <laughs> um, and I really liked um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark style yes. map when the when the oh, plane was flying. Oh my! In my my notes are in all caps. Oh my God! It's the Chibi Team Avatar Raiders of the Lost Ark map sequence. <laughs> That's my note. Okay, so ex- explain to me what is this whole chibi thing? It's so chi- chibi is so that style of art where they're like cute, they're smaller, and they look right. a little more childish. That is chibi is a style of art or and like design in anime. In, in fact, so, in fact, are... baby or, or uh, like four year old Korra in the the very first episode of the series was was almost a nod to like the chibi art style. So it really, the it's a sl- as a word, chibi means like short person or small person. That's sort of like the slang for it. So basically, like you'll have chibi chibi versions of all kinds of things, like Gundam, which are like giant, awesome, like so like super suits. There are chibi versions of Gundam out there, even like toys that are like big headed, like they're like an overly sized head and a cute little Gundam body. So kind there's chibi everything. Kind of like Funko's Dorbs figures, if you've seen those, Arlo. Actually, Funko is pure, Funko Pops are pure chibi. There you go, Arlo. Okay. The, any Funko Pop character that you've gotten is a chibi version of that character. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Uh, have there been Avatar Funko Pops? Because I feel like no. there really should be. No. I, 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 they're going to block me on social media because I bug them all the fucking time. They are putting out... Uh, pop figures for every goddamn thing you can think of, and I constantly beg them for Avatar and Korra stuff, and they will they will never respond to me about it. Paul, I don't know if you've noticed this yet. Everyone has blocked you on social media. You are <laughs> you are howling into the void, my friend. Oh God, that's so fucking true. I'm sure. All right, let's <laughs> let's save that for episode 300 of Gobbledy Geek, and let's get back but, to. Uh, but we, we so we've already talked about it a little, but uh, so they tr- they find all of these airbenders and their sales pitch is spectacularly unsuccessful. Yeah. Uh, tattoos, vegetarianism, and ancient airbender robes, uh, as it turns out, are not good selling points. Let's not call uh, them 
spectacularly unsuccessful. Let's call them spectacularly awful. There's a reason it's unsuccessful, and it's because they suck. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, Tenzin uh, shows up on, on all of these doorsteps just expecting people to – now that they suddenly have these abilities that they – Again, Paul, like the potentials, did not ask for that all of a sudden they will be willing to drop everything yes. and join the cause. Now, the one I am, I'm with Tenzin. I loved how enthusiastic he was. He was so excited to be sharing his culture, and, and it was really breaking his heart that these people, and I loved how the little chibi faces were getting sadder and sadder as they went along. Um, but uh, I, I agree with him when he says, I really thought I had that last guy. Who doesn't want a bison as their best friend? I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, man. I'm totally like when you show up at my door and say, your best friend will be a giant bison. I'm like, fuck yes. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, that was that was definitely. I think if he had refined that pitch, he might have gotten some people. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it's it's hilarious that the method they use that finally gets somebody is the the crazy circus act, the freak show act, or whatever that they do. Yeah, yeah. They um they managed to get one person, and only because. Only because he was on, because he was a street rat on the run. Oh yeah, only because he was going to be arrested and thrown in jail otherwise. Yeah. So before we start talking about Kai, can we talk about? Uh, so at one point, uh, they show up to talk to this one new yeah. Airbender who is very much like a, a, a lazy. Uh, he, he's a young kid who is like living in his mom's basement, basically. And one, one, the mom is voiced by Maria Bamford, mm -hmm. who also does Pima's voice. Yep. Um, and there's a point where uh, she says, he's 22 and, you know, still just figuring his life out. And I, do you, I just want everyone to know how sad it made me that that was obviously supposed to be a joke about how much of a loser this character is. <laughs> yeah. And I am 26 years old and still you know, find that very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one, uh, I just had to put that out there. Two, as the character was was speaking, I was like, "Wow, they're really going for like a Napoleon Dynamite thing." Nice here. Nice. And then I found out that it was actually voiced by John Heater or yeah. Header. Wait, that was John Heater? Yep. Yes, that was wow. Napoleon Dynamite himself. <laughs> and this was my note. Wow, that really was John Heater. Ugh. Oh, come on. What is wrong I with you? I despise Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, my God. All right. That's a, um, that's another did episode. Not, I did not need John Heater in my avatar. Oh, that was hilarious, though. That was the perfect use of John Heater. That was, I, I loved the that. The perfect use of John Heater is to not use him at all. Stop. Stop it, Arlo. Uh, okay, look. There's another level of sort of mockery that's going on with that character. The character's name is Ryu, and the the reason that character is the sort of uh eye-rolling laughable mockery of a human being that he and apparently you are uh arlo is because mm -hmm. they were poking fun at uh artist and director ki hyun ryu who was the co-director along with joaquin de santos of every episode of book one of cora um because in throughout the the run of at least well it must have been avatar i don't know anyways he's he's done production work for them so anytime that they 
would ask for character designs or whatever, anytime they're trying to break a new character or look or whatever, he always would just go super caricature. Like they, they'd ask for a design for, I don't know, let's just say they're trying to come up with a design for, uh, for, I can, why can't I, Zaheer. And uh, so all these various artists would jot down their ideas, and this Ryu guy would always come up with just something completely bizarre and wacky that they almost never used, and they gave him such a hard time of that. So they decided to actually make him into a caricature of himself as a character on the show, and that's what Ryu is. Apparently that is a an exaggerated, uh, perhaps hurtful, <laughs> rendition of what that person is like in the show. Right. Uh, well, can I just ask, why didn't he voice the character instead of John Heater? <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps, I don't know. Because some people like boy, am I, oh, boy, am I disappointed they didn't cast John Heater as a year. <laughs> this would have been a much more fun season that way. They should have cast uh, Henry Rollins as Ryu. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, uh, so, so Kai. Kai is the new recruit. Um and he spins this whole tragic yarn about how he's this uh, innocent orphan. Uh, and he is an orphan. That part is true. He is very... As far as you know. Not, as far as I know. Um, he is not an innocent orphan, though. He is actually a criminal orphan. Uh, he's an outlaw who steals gold. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, my take on young Kai, at least as far as we've seen so far, is that um, he's, I feel like he's an interesting blend between uh, the sort of childlike, uh, innocent Aang qualities and the more uh, mischievous, troublemaking elements of Toph. I really feel like he's this, this blend between those kind of two characters. And also a blend of them and a giant shithead. <laughs> I was going to say, right. yeah, like, I, I get the Aang aspect, I suppose, because that's what he's trying to sell on a surface level. But you lose me with the Toph comparison. I, I, I don't see it. Toph, I suppose, was mischievous, but Toph did not go around like stealing gold from the family that just took her in. Kai is not so much a thief as he is a full-on klepto. <laughs> okay. He well. can't help himself. He can't help himself. Like, so, okay, so so he's he's done in season six. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. All right. See, here we go. I'm, I'm going to go with this. Let's. This is it. There we go. Dawn in season oh six. Oh, my God. On. So Kai has just become the dawn of Avatar. It is the dawn of a new age, Paul. Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, for the record, I always liked Dawn, the character on Buffy. And I also, uh, maybe it's foreknowledge. Maybe it's just that I, I'm, I feel like Kai grow, kind of grows on you, but I don't dislike he do, Kai. He does. I don't, I don't dislike Kai. He's a little bit of a shithead now. I, okay, let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. Kai is a bit of a plot device mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And he, which I, which I think, he do some stupid things on behalf of the plot, and I don't think that's the case long term. Okay, so in this episode that we're that we're talking about, rebirth, he plays. Actually, is it this one where that happens? Um, is this the one where they meet? The, no, it's the third one where we get to Bossing Say and they they yeah, meet their yeah, Bossing Say is in the third one. Okay, uh, well, so he does play. 
you know, his roguish nature or dickhead nature, whatever his, his, uh, um, artful dodgerness uh, leads to uh, some important stuff for some of the other characters, specifically Mako and Bolin. Uh, but I also, I maintain that it also, um, the character is also helping pull Janora back from the edge of what I, at this point in the show, I was kind of fearing that Janora was headed towards this really annoying Yodaville. Like at the end of last season, she went all Deus Ex Genora, and and we talked a little bit about whether that was earned or if if it was over the top or whatever. But um, I don't know. I, I I was concerned at this point watching the show that Genora was about to become all like you know super wise for her age and in, just have this massive inherent power. And the fact that she has this very youthful childlike crush on the bad boy i think humanizes her a little bit it well that really works that i i i love that stuff it's great and janora needed um a more human character type plot and this gives it to her i really think the writers of this show looked at last year and was like the plot overwhelmed everyone let's mm-hmm. back up and give everyone character plots mm-hmm. and and even goes down to the level of people like janora who gets a really it's really fun to watch like especially when she's training them on the boat and maybe it's in the next episode but that's yeah. a great a great example to see okay um what else happened to in clarify this? i have no problem with kai so far i don't really I, I haven't seen enough of him to really have an opinion okay i haven't i feel like i haven't really seen him become a character yet that's fair you have not you've okay. seen him be a plot device so far um, so okay Okay, well, okay, let's talk. We have two major returns yes. to the Avatarverse, yeah. and we're going to talk about the less obvious one first, which is Gray fucking Delisle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, was that? Yeah, that wasn't this one. That wasn't this one. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Ming-Hua. Yep. Um, she's back as one of the, like, scariest villain character designs I've seen. She, she reminds me of the um, the Mongols from... Um, yes. Mulan. Yeah, wow. And, and that, that kind of like <laughs> elemental terror that they had, and yeah. but with like terrifying water arms. Yes, so just great. What a character design! Yes. Amazing. In, in my notes, I, I, um, I, I had already made the comparison to the whole potentials from Buffy, which okay, we'll throw that out. But another comparison to sort of geek properties, uh, that I could make would be X Men. I feel like there's a very X Men vibe, uh, that's happening sometimes under the surface many times right out in the open but one of the sort of x-men things that we're seeing is this group of supervillains that's being put together um this is like magneto and his brotherhood of air quotes evil mutants you've got earthbender gazan and waterbender minghua who and in my notes i was like voiced by azula herself um, and you even get one of them escaping from prison in a very mag- Magneto from X2 kind of way, except that he uses three pebbles instead of three metal ball bearings or whatever. Um, yep. But Arlo, how do you? What do you think about the the sort of supervillain team that Zahir is putting together? I like it so far. I especially like Ming Hua just for like her her water arms. I don't really know how that works, but I like it. Yes. I don't know how she's controlling water, like w- with her mind. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That's. 
No, okay. It, I this is so we've all we've all known that like bending comes down to a manner of 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 energy control, which is we have combustion man who's able to do stuff, and it's obviously there is a kata aspect to this. There's, there's a a control aspect to it, and I think in this case she does have the body movements. You know what I mean? She is, um, she is working. It's not like the arms are just there. She is active when she's using them. I just think she's a highly powerful waterbender who made up for the um, the lack of arms and, and taught herself bending without that. I actually think it's a really cool use. I think it's a cool explanation that bending is not just about, like, you just can't, like, it's not just like, well, you have no arms, you can't be a bender. I actually really dig. Dig that she has come up with a form of this that that allows her to do that. Ming Wah is, for me, I guess... A, maybe a little bit like Zaheer for you, Eric. She's a character that initially I'm put off by because I have, I have questions. This is something we've discussed in previous episodes. My whole issue with, I really enjoyed the martial arts aspect and the kata aspect of bending. And more as we go further and further in the series, we're seeing people who, who really are just Jean Grey. They're really just telekinetic people that apparently don't need to do any kind of you know, uh, ritual or movement or preparation or whatever. And Ming, Ming Hua is kind of like that. My, every time I see her, my question is, shouldn't she need to do some sort of spin move to get that water to her in the first place or whatever? But by the end, as the show goes on, I, I get over that. She's a cool enough character that I let go of that, but. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's different. And I think that these are, as we learn from the other returnee, these char- these characters are all higher level special mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah. Like these are not these are all considered to be I mean our our returnee character describes them basically the same way that Bucky describes the other super soldiers that uh, Zemo's trying to let out. It is <laughs> almost the same explanation, almost verbatim. It's like these people together, these people could take down nations. Like it's basically like yeah. The they, so they are very clearly labeled as extraordinary individuals. L- listeners, can you tell by the number of references we've made to it that uh, uh, Captain America: Civil War just came out on Blu-ray at the time of this recording? <laughs> and it's better every time you watch it. Absolutely, I've watched it like five times this last week. Uh, yep. So, real quick, back to uh, Ming Hua. What does it say? about the Avatar universe that the first handicapped character is evil. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. That's not the, fir- not the not first... Tr- that handicapped. is not true. Toph, you dumbass. Toph? Well, and fine. and the guy it. who's... Ruined my joke. The guy whose Ruined name I joke. can't remember in the wheelchair. It's okay. There's a guy in a wheelchair? Yes. Oh, yeah, the, the mechanist's um, son, son, right? Yeah. All right, God damn it. Whatever. Okay. It was, it was a joke. Ah. Well, next well, time, you make it made funny. The joke. You, if you were going to make a bad joke that you shouldn't have made, then you should expect to get shot down. <laughs> this show is the death of comedy. <laughs> uh, all right. Speaking of the death of comedy, the the other returning character. Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> Tomorrow, like, who else came back? Lord Zuko. Hell yes. Yeah. It's Which is a great return, though I have to say, um, Bruce Davison's voice... <laughs> um, really in no way resembles Dante Bosco's and that was a, it was another really weird disconnect for me thank you yes because uh, I, I I tried to stop and think I was like 
does this sound like some like Zuko aged 70 years is there any possible way his voice could transform from from Dante Bosco's to this and the, my conclusion was no whoa 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 he's a firebender creates a lot of fumes probably <laughs> like smoking <laughs> Change his voice. see, see I, I'm Arlo, you're echoing me perfectly here, but I've kind of, I've worked my way through it. Um, I, it is still jarring to hear Bruce Davison do, I mean, it doesn't even sound like Bruce Davison is trying to sound like Dante, Dante Bosco to me, but (laughs) no, but um, I do, I had to walk myself through this earlier when I was making notes because I, I feel like I always imagine Dante Bosco's Zuko voice as being like very rough and gravelly, but it's not really. It's Bosco's voice is not like Clint Eastwood gravelly. It's more like just strained or whatever is kind of what his voice sounds like. It's strained and and, and nasally. A little breathy. It's a little breathy. And Bruce Davison kind of has the, not the same, but he kind of had, at least the voice he's using here is kind of breathy and strained. And I can, I can twist my imagination just enough to think that over the course of 70 years, uh, young Zuko's voice would have thinned maybe a little bit into what we hear in this, but, but I'm absolutely on the same page with you. As soon as he started speaking, I was like, that is, that's not Zuko. (laughs) By the way, I'll just tell you, like on on name alone, I didn't recognize who Bruce Davison was. Uh-huh. So I find it very interesting that after all of our talk of of mutants and dormant powers, uh, I just discovered that Bruce Davison is the guy who played uh, Senator Kelly in the X Men movies. That's right. Yep. 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 So, all right. Cool. There you go. All right, but uh, at any rate, so, so I was, Zuko's I was very bad. very happy to see Zuko in his badass dragon. Yeah. Spoiler alert: Zuko survives all the comics between Avatar and Korra. <laughs> And and ends up with a, a fucking dragon. Yeah. And he gets to do, like, he gets to be the one to pop in to explain to us that we need to be afraid of the bad guys. Yeah. He's so like, what, what, mean... what? No. So Toph and Azula are the only two major characters we haven't seen in the future, right? Um, Plus, I guess Azula's yeah. two, two frenemies. Yeah, May and Ty Lee yeah. we haven't seen. Yeah. And uh, we have not seen Azula. And the Kyoshi Warriors, we haven't seen. Okay. Oh yeah. Wow. Didn't think yeah, about... yeah. We never. We've never seen. We've never seen Suki. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we haven't seen Toph. We haven't seen Zuko. We haven't seen um, May Tyli or Suki. Okay. Cool. Cool. Are uh, you? Were you happy that Zuko was alive? Were you? Did, we, did you know Zuko was still alive? I can't remember if they had told us before this. I, f- I feel like they had mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like okay. they had mentioned the, fi- because the fire. Because Gen- General Iroh, I think, was... I mean, he certainly was talking about his grandfather, and I feel like he was talking about him as if he were still alive. Yeah, but... yeah, I don't feel like this is new information. I was just very glad to actually oh. see Zuko again as an actual presence in the, in the fact, story. You know, in fact, totally, no, that's where Korra was headed to right. Zuko last season. That was, that was where she was headed. When she got distracted by that whole amnesia thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the show got amnesia and forgot that Zuko had ever even been mentioned. We just moved on without him. So in the following episode, the Earth Queen, uh, Zuko tracks down uh, Eska and Desna. Yeah. Who I was not, I was not expecting to see them again. I don't, yeah. I don't know why. I just thought we were done with them. Maybe I wanted to put the whole Unalak thing behind me. <laughs> um, but 
honestly, I have to say in the, like the the one or two big scenes that we get with both of them, I kind of like them a lot better now that their dad is dead. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. They just seem – and maybe I never properly expressed this when we were talking about book two. But even though, like, I found Eska – like, she was funny as sort of like the stereotypical Aubrey Plaza character. There was something about – I don't know. I didn't like her as much as I as I should have mm-hmm. in theory. But, like, she has a great exchange uh, with, uh, with Zuko. Uh, when he's like, ironically, I hired a guy with a similar power once to kill the Avatar. Didn't work. And she responds, don't feel bad. I tried to kill Korra after she ruined my wedding. It happens. And the whole time, Tonrock is sitting, is standing right there. Yeah, yeah. That was great. Um, and I also love their uh, response when uh, he's taking them to the prison. And she's like, why didn't anyone tell us there was a secret prison we could be throwing people in? Yeah. And Desna actually says words. I feel like this is the most he's ever said in a row uh, in the series. Uh, I'd like to throw my tailor in. He never gets my cuffs right. They're so creasy. That was, that was great. All of that was great. Yeah. I, I always liked them, but uh, yeah, I, I love the fact that they're now co-chief, I guess, of the Northern water tribe. Oh, that poor Northern water tribe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I do like I do like that Zuko has to go to them and and yeah Zuko and and Eska as like a buddy team actually seems like really hilarious to me and I would watch I would watch a spinoff series of the two of them trying to stop problems. <laughs> oh, um, so so what else? so I guess we're kind of, I guess we're kind of into episode three at this point. We've kind of yeah, moved yeah, yeah, our yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I look. Can I just get the? Can I get the? deal with the really the real problem sure. right now sure fucking dialy i knew it i knew it my notes are <laughs> look eric the dialy are still around I oh man i was came back oh i was so tickled when that when the dialy popped back up i was like oh god yes eric will love this and they are still the exact same assholes yep they are they're not changed in 120 years or however long it's been since Avatar. Well, they are the exact same assholes. Actually, the Earth Kingdom is filled with the exact same assholes. Yeah, Bossing Say has undergone precious little change. In fact, what change we see is for the worse, I think. This is what you get when you restore a monarchy whose current king was whatever the guy with the bear. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, hold on. But the Earth King seemed like a nice guy. Like he realized how how blinded uh, he had become to what was actually going on. He realized that he wasn't. He was like more of a figurehead than anything. And he seemed like after that, he seemed like he was a good dude. Yeah, but then like, he went oh. off to wander the Earth. And oh, we... oh shit! I forgot about that. Yeah, he okay. he basically abandoned his kingdom, and we don't know. Oh, fuck. We don't know what the hell, ha- like, we don't know how we got from King, I can't remember his name, I, he was never named in the show, but we go from that king to this queen, which is I a serious... I blinked on that. So wait, when did he decide to, this is the second reference to this in this episode, when did he decide to walk the earth like Kane and Kung Fu? Was that on the show? Yeah, it was right near the end of the show, right? Okay, he, well then he, doesn't he doesn't he pop up in one of the comics that we've yeah, seen? Yeah, yeah, no, he, he mentioned it on the show, but then it's... The, the first comic, uh, The Promise, it opens with, like, the celebrations in Ba Sing Se, and it, he goes into much more detail there. Like, they, oh, they shit. actually talk about the fact wow. that he's going to go okay. live among his people or, what, or, you know, see what I've missed. 
Okay, wow. I completely forgot about all of that. So, so it, it makes much more sense to me that uh, that the ruler of the Earth Kingdom now is like Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah. <laughs> nice. nice. The, 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 it, I mean, really, like, it is back to the same filled with secrets and lies. Bossing, and actually, I, I actually really like that, to be honest. That Bossing Say was the least affected by the war. I mean, they were very briefly occupied. Mm-hmm. By the Fire Nation, but not for very long. Bossing Say did not fall for very long, and they fell through the help of the Dai Li, meaning that the administration of that city was probably being handled the exact same way it had been, right? Even before Azula's takeover of it. So that was the city more than probably the only place le- less affected by the war than anything else. Like even the Fire Nation had a massive upending of things. Bossing Say basically went right back to normal. So. There was never any pressure on Bossing Say to change, and it was massively powerful and had a horrible monarchy, and the Dai Li were never deconstructed as they should have been, <laughs> and so we are right back to them. Ask them, I, they're terrible. I actually don't think I hate the Dai Li this season. I think it's probably why I forgot they came back. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't think we get a lot of the Dai Li. But um, okay. Refresh my memory, because I'm pretty sure that we figured this out. I, I think this is something we know. The comics, um, like specifically The Promise, uh, which The Promise was the one that introduced Yu Dao, right? Yeah, The Promise was the, yes, the yes. one about building the, the yes. city, bringing the city together. But okay, so that was published, that was written and published before this season of Korra aired, correct? Yes. Okay. Because the show references that, and I was, you know, last time I watched this show, I hadn't read those comics yet, but the queen actually makes reference. She doesn't name the city, but she does say, she's got that line where she's talking to Korra, and she says, I hardly think you're in a position to ask me for favors after everything the last Avatar did to the Earth Kingdom. He and Fire Lord Zuko took advantage of my father's weakness and stole our lands to make their own little empire. The United Republic is Earth Kingdom territory. So she, uh, she's referring to Yu Dao there, which became Republic City, and clearly she's not. Uh, that was a treaty that she wasn't happy with. Yep, because she's horrible, <laughs> and it took away some of her land and gave her less people to oppress. So yes, very yeah. clearly. And so then, Cora uh, and Asami come upon. Uh, a group of what appear to be, uh, well, in my notes, I said, who are these Mad Max motherfuckers? My, my note is Mad Max biker gang. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, who initially seem like bad guys because again, they're coded as Mad Max motherfuckers. Right. Um, and then, you know, one of them says, you know, the, the, this gold, you know, it belongs to the people. And Cora's like, why do I think he's right? Yeah. <laughs> so, how, that was a really good fight, by the way. Yeah, yeah. My my note immediately after Mad Max Biker Gang is amazing fight sequence with multiple uh, exclamation points. I we didn't really get any fight sequences in the first two episodes, did we? Not really. It was it was all it was we did, but they were the Zaheer breakout stuff. So we got Zaheer right, breaking right, out in the yeah. first episode, and we got Zaheer breaking his friends out in the second episode. Which which that was all amazing, but yeah, this was this fight sequence was fantastic. Like it was, I, I, watched it I love watching Asami fight. Asami yes. fighting always makes me really excited. I'm always glad when she gets to be in a combat scene and her taking down the, the biker 
group with her electric glove is i love that she that her electric glove is now her thing i yep, love it yep <laughs> yeah that so, is badass so fucking great that whole fight sequence yeah uh, so, so so going back to the, to the earth queen for a second um we find out that i, I want to talk about um Mako and Bolin's family, but the one detail I want to mention now is that we discover through them that the Earth Queen is sort of worshipped like a, a North Korean dictator. Like they they have like a little picture of her hanging up in the house, and they I, I didn't write down the exact line of dialogue that the uh, the old woman says, but it was very creepy. Yeah, it was it was it was very much like you know dear and it's powerful also, leader. It, it's something. also. Uh... It's also surprisingly complicated, again, for, we need to stop saying this, for a Nickelodeon children's show, that uh, this character... We are not we are not retiring that until the end of the season. There is a specific moment I am waiting for oh, okay. to slap down the actual children's show on Nickelodeon card. Just wait, it's coming. Anyway, okay. <laughs> okay, I can't, I can't wait. Uh, but uh, yeah, Grandma's name is Yin, uh, but she's, you know, the lovable, the lovable Grandma. She's... We're, we're already coded to believe that she's going to be this lovable grandma based on uh, Bolin's adorable grandma impression earlier in, in one of the earlier episodes. Um, but she's very sweet and very lovable, uh, but she also gets the, the really kind of creepy, you know, don't speak ill. I'm, try, I'm trying to find the quote, uh, and I can't find it, but... Uh, She's, yeah, a sweet, she she's a sweet, lovable the... little granny, but she gets to make the don't don't talk bad about our celestial goddess or whatever she calls it. And her. I I go back to what Eric said earlier. This is like the perfect time for us to be watching this because isn't she in a nutshell like the average Trump voter? Like sweet, lovable old lady who secretly <laughs> like has all the you know all of the hatred in the world for you know other people. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Well played. Uh, and the other detail about the Earth Queen. Uh, so th- I, I imagine this will lead to me getting to know Kai as a character. So Kai wanders off and Bolin's so worried about his new little brother thinking, still for whatever reason, thinking he's this innocent little kid when really he's out, uh, you know, being a little thief again. And he gets captured by the Dai Li and thrown in a cell uh, where we find out that the Earth Queen is building an army, and he is the latest recruit. Yeah. Because so, because because the Dai Li had all those prisons underneath lakes and stuff, so we got to use it for something. Let's kidnap some airbenders. <laughs> exactly, and and I like that this comes after I think it might have been in the first episode where Milo was like, "Are we going to have enough airbenders for for an airbender army?" And Tenzin has to remind him, you know, air nomads are peaceful; they don't have armies. And now we have this. Right. Yep. He's Earth Queen is terrible. Earth Queen is just basically awful, and the Daily is awful. I mean, she. They tell us. They tell her aide says the queen hates animals. So right there, you know she's an awful person. Oh, that's she, right. She, she hates animals. Yeah. She doesn't even have a bear. That's right. Um, uh, so. Oh, the so that I, quote by uh, sweet innocent Granny Yin, by the way, is uh, uh, her, her son or grandson or whatever he is. His name is Two. Says they say the Earth Queen's locking all the Airbenders up somewhere and using them for experiments. And Yin says Two. 
don't talk like that about her majesty long may she reign and it says she turns around and the camera pans to the side of a portrait of the earth queen yin blows a kiss towards the picture and places her palms together to pray that is so creepy yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right i i i unrelated bit of trivia for this um episode by the way since we're calling out voice actors um we we meet the final member of the um league of evil uh brotherhood of evil mutants <laughs> and it is another combustion person, and it is voiced, given our trend, this works out pretty well, by one of the potentials from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Yes. Christy Wu, who again was a Chow An. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we, we have now we have now looped around and closed the circle on the Buffy the <laughs> Season 7 stuff, so we can do that off. But she is um, infinitely scarier than any of the potentials. As How do you pronounce the name? Is it Pali? Pali is how uh, Zuko Pali. Zuko says her name once in the episode. Pali. Um, uh, yeah. Eric, I don't. I wouldn't say she's scarier than any of the potentials because any time one of the potentials showed up on my screen, I became scared that a great show was going to turn turn into a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> this is the most well, negative. Some, some... <laughs> this is the most some negative. Some fears I, turn out to be very founded. I, I've ever heard Arlo willing to go about his beloved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The thing yeah, is, I, was... I, I just watched season seven again for the first time in years and was from, and perhaps for the first time, because I, I, you know, I watched it so, so long ago and I've only seen bits and pieces of it since then. So I was, I was so young when I watched it all the way through for the first time, watching it again as an adult, it, it is, it is, it's much worse than I remembered and i this is not a buffy podcast that will happen at some point in the future we'll get into into it then i still adore the hell out of that show but season seven not the best hashtag problematic (laughs) oh god (laughs) so Um, so let's besides uh sweet creepy granny yin let's talk about mako and bolin's family okay uh so they uh they get separated from everyone uh in the earth kingdom and and find their family and I'm not sure I have a lot to say about this, but I like the fact that we get to see Mako and Bolin uh, as brothers again, because as as you said earlier, Paul, last season, or I, I forget it might have been Eric, one of the two of you said earlier that uh, last season plot so overwhelmed character that we sort of lost, we lost a lot of the the small like character interactions and the bonding. Uh, between the two, especially because Mako and Bolin had such radically different arcs right. last year. Uh, Mako was a, a police officer, and Bolin was a mover star. Right, which uh, gets and, called and back in this. I like. I, I know. I, I did love. I that. mean, he, I'm he, famous. He, I know how you. I get how you know me, but how do you know him? <laughs> and uh, and one of them, one of their family members, is like, "Oh, I love the Nuck type movers. Those were hilarious." And he was like, "Yeah, they're uh, they're not really comedies, but." Uh, <laughs> Um, but I, I, I really like that we get to see them, you know, together again as brothers and we get to see them meeting their family. We find out more about their father, son, uh, who aspired to, to greater things than, uh, than his family did and had a big fight with, with his father and a falling out with his family. Um, and yeah, his family did not even know that, uh, their parents were murdered when they were kids which again goes back to what eric was saying about how basically 
bossing say is kind of the same now as it was before the war it looks like not much information is getting in or out of bossing say in yeah. fact in fact the queen was very upset to find out that that uh if people had heard there were airbenders popping up in bossing say yeah there's a lot of earthbender air airbender oh yeah sorry earth nation airbenders an awful lot well to be fair bossing say is freaking huge yeah, it, the Earth Nation is pretty humongous. Although, I think it's interesting that the place they go, they have all the information on it from the Earth Nation. And you'd think that the Fire Nation would be a lot more friendly to this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But then we wouldn't have been able to have the Dai Li back. And what exactly. would we do without that? Exactly. Can't can't have a season without the Dai Li. That's right. That's right. We finally got him back. Yay. <laughs> I'm actually, to be honest, but really, I, I don't think they, they have the problem this year that the other ones yeah. did. Although we did get a return to their obnoxious stone gloves but <laughs> otherwise yeah it's interesting that uh in in 70 years the Dai Li haven't like come up with a i mean i guess the stone gloves are the perfect thing they haven't been refined at all over the past 70 years but whatever um so i had i kind of had a closing question here for arlo about um about sahir and i guess we we sort of talked about this earlier but this is a fascinating thing that Eric, you shared with me back when we were still talking about uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. I think maybe maybe we were in Korra, but there's a there's a piece out there that uh, sort of explores the various ideologies of the different Korra villains throughout the series. And obviously, we're going to talk about that more once the series is done. And you've and Arlo, you've seen all the villains, but for now. Um, if we look at Amon's quest for equality and sort of equate that with communism and Unalak uh, being kind of theocratic in his desire, or at least his, his supposed desire, his stated desire to kind of return spirits to a position of power. Um, what do you think Zahir at this point, from what you've seen, what do you think Zahir might kind of be representing? Um, I, I, I honestly don't know if I if I know enough. Yeah. I mean, I know he you know has spouted like I said a little bit of philosophy, but I'm not sure I've really heard enough about what his beliefs and motivations are to really answer that. You really need to hear what type of skittle metaphor he drops before you can judge this kind of thing. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. Well, we'll come back to this then, I suppose. <laughs> Um, y'all, I'm I'm super excited right now. I have to say, this season three is like kicking off really well. Yeah, it's cool to have everything back. Um, I was really, I actually really was upset having to stop watching episodes. Won't lie. And I watched these Sunday, so it wasn't just like I watched them and then immediately we could talk about them. It was like I spent days wanting to watch more Korra, not being able to. <laughs> you you have, I think we've talked about this before. You've seen the show already, so it's okay for you to skip ahead, but. But if, if I rewatch too much, then I'm not having a fresh new reaction. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is my fresh rewatch reaction, and I want to be able to give that. So it's really difficult right now. Yeah. So, and, and honestly, the further we get into this season, and especially when we get to season four, this is going to be torture. Yeah. Not to keep watching. <laughs> Let's just do one episode about season four. It'll be like 12, the whole, the whole thing. 12 hours long about every episode from season four. Yeah. I think we'll just need to record every ep- we'll just need to record an episode a day 
<laughs> okay. So five Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll watch the episodes in the in the daytime and then do our recording. That's what we're gonna have to do. Sounds great. Sounds great. And hey, um, Eric, I saw on Twitter that you did this. Uh, so friend of the show, I'm gonna call him friend of the show. Scud Pyshow tweeted at uh, TAR Podcast today that um, the uh, the library edition or whatever it's called, the hardcover edition, the collected edition of the next Avatar: The Last Airbender comics volume has been put on Amazon for pre-sale. It, it comes out October 4th, which means that it will be out and available for us to review. At the moment, our schedule has us breaking between book three and book four uh, in mid or late October, I think. So it looks like this book is going to be out in time for us to have the library edition with all the footnotes and all that stuff. So, Eric, I saw that you pre-ordered yours. I have pre-ordered mine. Arlo? I have not pre-ordered mine. Oh, jeez. Okay. Well. That's how it's going to be. Get on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. probably steal it from a Barnes & Noble the day before we record. <laughs> okay, great. That's all. Or you can just record from Barnes & Noble. They let you sit there and read. So. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm fine with that. <laughs> we, we just did an episode of Gobbledy Geek with uh, a guest coming to us from a Denny's. So exactly anything can happen yeah there is precedent and well if the denny's is in akron anything can happen yes <laughs> it it was indeed so true yeah all right uh anything else we have to say with these before we uh put a pin in it no I'm, i just want to make sure we don't forget for arlo to tell us what's coming next based on the episode titles yeah oh ab- yeah absolutely so um yeah I'll, at the end i'll give you the episode titles arlo you'll give us your take uh in the meantime Thank you, everybody at home. First of all, for waiting for us all this time to come back. Thank you for sticking with us, and thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode while you're there please be a hero and rate us or write us a review help spread the word and if you'd like to contact us please send your correspondence care of monkey yahtzee to <laughs> arlo i love how you never caught how carefully i was pronouncing these things but uh nope i don't at, pay attention to you exactly at tarpodcast at gmail.com and of course you can always find us on social media facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash tar podcast and on twitter i am at haunt 1013 eric is at salon that's s-a-a-l-o-n and arlo is at unplugged crazy so uh next time the changes continue with three more chapters arlo why don't you give us your predictions for chapter 304 in harm's way um, clearly, uh, Harmony visits from Sunnydale. Nice. All right. Hilarity ensues. You nailed that one. Uh, chapter 305, The Metal Clan. Uh, I imagine uh, various members of like Metallica and Megadeth and Slayer all come together, uh, united against uh, Zaheer and his cronies. This is a fantastic game we've added to the show. And uh, Chapter 306, Old Wounds. Old Wounds. Um... Uh, I don't know. Uh, Milo like got a paper cut a while ago, and it still hurts. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, people, please tune in to find out if uh, if any of Arlo's predictions were uh, even remotely accurate. 
Uh, until then, please remember, when your son becomes a master, he'll get tattoos all over his body, just like me. The uplift meant I speak only the truth that I said